Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Hollywood Breaks. It's good to be with you on this Friday morning. And as you can see, Keith and I are alone. There's just the two of us this week for Hollywood Breaks. Backed by popular demand. Whatever shall we do? <laughs> What's that? Say <laughs> backed by popular demand. Yes, true. There were, I, we did get a lot of messages. <laughs> Why are we having all these guests? We just want you and you and Tim. That's all we want. What's this deal with all these insightful people you keep asking to join us? <laughs> what happened to just the banter between the two of you guys? We missed those days. So we're bringing it back. We got to give the audience what they want. You know, you give the people what they want. It really is the genius behind what we're doing, Keith. It's just the fact mm, that it is. you and I... <laughs> Whatever. Are just so damn smart. <laughs> All right, here we go. We're going to start this thing. We're going to do it well. We're going to have a lot of fun. Yes. Um, you know what, I, Keith, there, we talked to Richard Rushfield last week from The Ankler. Yes, we did. And I'll say, we talked to him right before we released the state of the industry newsletter. Yeah, yeah straight to show business mm -hmm. um, newsletter he does. Um, pretty insightful. I mean, I, I got to say, great to meet him. Great to kind of just uh, put a voice to the name. Um, and he really does have the same angle idea of like Hollywood is changing. Like the world that we knew, the things that were true about Hollywood, really, they just aren't true anymore. And somebody should be saying it for real instead of the newspapers and other trades, just covering it up and giving whatever press release banter is being pushed out there. So I appreciated that conversation and, and having him. Yeah. I mean, it was great to, you know, I, one of the great things I think he provides to the industry as a whole is this refreshing perspective without all the sort of studio BS that kind of gets pushed on Variety and Hollywood Reporter and Deadline. When Nikki Fink started as Nikki Fink, she was like the place you went because she kind of told it like it was. There was no sheen to it. She got vindictive here and there, um, which some people enjoyed, other people didn't. Um, and then she slowly faded away and then deadline became like variety and new Hollywood. They all became the same thing. And then Richard came along and, you know, he's really opened it up and he does take a sort of a very honest view of what the industry is going through right now. Um, but I love the fact that he comes from it a place of love of movies and the theatrical experience as a whole versus just being a guy who likes to, to break you know, bull in a tiny China shop type character. Right. And I think that is just something that's refreshing. And his newsletter really kind of hit on a lot of the points that he referenced when we, when we were talking with him just about how the idea that, you know, people may go back to the theaters. They may rush back when things really start to open up. That doesn't solve the core problems of what the industry was facing pre-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic is really just a magnifying glass of yeah. what we've been seeing for years, and it just sped up that evolution. Um, and the competition became very fierce. The rich became richer, the poor became poor. I mean, like, the, really, that idea of the missing of the middle class um, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like, there's some really amazing um, evolution that we're seeing right happening right before our eyes and to have somebody that's just giving us those insights. You know, this week I read, um, well, as you did too, that the Golden Globes basically next year are canceled. Um, and NBC basically chose like, hey, we'll give you 18 months to clean up your act. They made up a couple of parameters that are legitimate, but yet it's been this way for many, many years. And if you know, my angle is if they were making money and growing in viewers, nobody would have ever mentioned the issues of Hollywood foreign press. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much like what happened with 
sort of Harvey Weinstein, we saw with Scott Rudin, they kind of, the industry as a whole kind of waits until the man is down or the person or the organization is on its like on its back foot. And then it just sort of pushes them, gives them final pushover because it's not like everyone knew the Hollywood foreign press was this sort of pseudo corrupt organization that you could basically buy votes or, you know, bribe them into voting for your movie. And it wasn't a secret. It was just there. And, you know, there was an aspect of it. I think a lot of people turned a blind eye to it because being in the industry, going to the Globes was fun because it was at the Beverly Hilton. It was Hollywood stars. It was, it was, I'm sorry, it was TV stars. It was movie stars. All the parties were right there and you just, it just was a fun night. And, you know, people got loose, you know, they're drinking champagne. The hosts were kind of crazy, you know, Ricky Gervais, like making fun of everybody. So it had that sort of like crazy sense to it. That I think a lot of people were like, okay, it's fun. We'll kind of turn our blind, you know, we'll turn an eye away from all the craziness behind the scenes and the fact that they're basically like this shoddy organization yeah. that just basically announces who's going to win based on who they want in the room, who they want to hang out with. Yeah, it really was. It was just a show. I mean, there, there's a, you know, tr- truly we are in show business, and in a lot of ways, like that's what what's what we do. And when they put on a show, they did put on a great show. And I really love the idea that the celebrities were in, all in the room, all in one room at one time, um, yeah. film and TV, because it was probably the only place you ever saw that. And it was right in the center of Hollywood, Wilshire Boulevard, you know, the Hilton, what have you. But here's what's interesting is like the, you know, that idea that the celebrity isn't enough anymore. Again, like my takeaway is NBC basically realized like we're in show business and that's not a very good show. We don't. And then they, I don't know. I feel like they covered it in some other kind of messaging of like, oh yeah. And by the way, there aren't any representations of, of BIPOC on the board. Oh, and by the way, your travel expenses are too much. I mean, you know, like they're whatever, like they just made up a bunch of excuses to really take the show off of air because the show yeah. isn't working anymore. And that's, for me, like that's the big earthquake indicator of what what's happening in Hollywood is the celebrity doesn't have the draw it used to have. And the, the finishing of the Golden Globes is something to realize like, what the heck? So getting film and TV stars together in one room, making fun of each other and talking about their insider Hollywood jokes isn't entertaining anymore. Something big is happening. Well, I also think it kind of, I mean, we could have a whole talk, a whole podcast alone on sort of the downfall of celebrity and sort of what started it. Some people will argue that it was the the sort of reality TV that sort of destroyed the idea of a celebrity being sort of this ethereal being, like basically the American version of royalty. And it was only bequeathed to a very few people who were able to, you know, hone their craft and entertain and you know, bring a, a sense of joy to people. And now it's just sort of like, if you can get a cam- in front of a camera and do something silly or stupid, you all of a sudden become a celebrity. Yeah. Like, it's not the same anymore. It, it's been so sort of spread out that it's not reserved just for movie and TV stars like it was, you know, when we were growing up. Um, and, you know, like the Tom Hanks of the world can't open a movie. It's just not like, you know, Marvel... Just to give you an example, Marvel, we have all these stars and actors, but, you know, Chris Hemsworth is a good case in point of this in that, you know, he was Thor and he tr- he's been trying ever since to just be in every single movie, but people are not paying to see Chris Hemsworth. They're paying to see Thor. You can put somebody else in that role and I guarantee you the same people are going to show up. 
And that's why when he goes and does a movie, it doesn't transfer because nobody cares, Chris. You know, who cares? Like, it's not, yeah. he's not this other being anymore. And this whole celebrities, they're just like us from like Us Magazine has really become true. They're just like us now. And I think the COVID sort of like Zoom sessions with celebrities now when they're not all done up, they're not all sort of prepped properly. They don't have a publicist sitting there with the cue cards telling them what to say. It's the mystique is now totally gone. Yeah, I almost feel like the Oscars was trying to turn the celebrity yes. into an influencer. Yes. But what you discovered is is like influencers different than celebrities. That person looks really great on camera. They're an amazing actress yeah. or actor. They could play a part and draw you into the cinematic experience. But give them a microphone and make them uh, have banter with a group of people in a crowd. Like it doesn't doesn't play the same way. Yeah, in two weeks, I'm going to do a little plug for a guest that we're having in two weeks. Um, Michelle Marks will be joining us, and she um, worked a lot on sort of um, uh, media promotions and content when I was at Fox. And she very much was all about the idea. Of, you know, originally it was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to put a movie promo inside a show you're already watching, so it kind of goes by and you don't even realize it's going by. But then, you know, as thing, you know, media habits shifted. She realized that, okay, now we need to start looking at ways to bring in influencers and give them the sense that they're a part of our, our experience and part of the movie. And then they essentially become our brand ambassadors. So they'll be sort of the people that will talk to other people about the movie, not just a celebrity sitting in front of their fifth, you know, person from, you know, Hoboken, um, it's a local news channel and repeating the same answers over and looking bored and frustrated. So it becomes a completely different ball game, and she'll go into a lot more detail about that. But that I think is definitely a sign of what we're seeing is it's moving away from the idea that celebrity is what is pulling people into the industry, and it's more the influencers are having a much more effect. Isn't it so interesting? Because um, like the influencer game really is a popularity contest. I mean, I mean, it's literally <laughs> yeah. started from a guy doing a website called Hot or Not, right? Yeah. So, like, it's really, like, how popular somebody could be. And Celebrity has a similar kind of approach to it. It is, like, how popular someone can be. But it's not um, – there were there were gatekeepers in the way of Celebrity, um, for better or worse. It's the, you know, the abuse was happening because these gatekeepers are saying, hey, if you want to make it, you have to do things, you know – the casting couch idea is yeah. like you have to yeah. do things in order to make it. I'm the one that chooses if you make it or not. The influencer model kind of breaks away from those kind of gatekeepers, but it makes it a very kind of different, really homogenized approach. So the only people that stand out are insane. I mean, they're train wrecks. That's what we're watching. Yeah. And you're right. Reality television kind of gave birth to that. Ironically, reality television comes out of a, a strike that the writers were on. So their writers gave birth to their, their own problem by walking away, uh, having a writer strike in, and reality television was created as a reaction to that. Yeah, I would actually argue it started before that. I think the idea of... Re you mean like with cops or whatever? And no, I think it, you know, I, I think it really started with the OJ trial, honestly. I mean, that was really like the first like live action sort of like reality TV. You had all these crazy characters, you know, the Kardat, you know, the, you know, Jenner family and, yeah. you know, the Kardashians. And then you had, you know, Kato Kalin. And it was like this weird, yeah. like surreal experience. We all watched that chase on the 405 freeway. And it was sort of like, 
reality and all these characters sort of like spoiled out from it. And then it just kind of accelerated from there. And yeah, you're right. The writer strike like was like pouring gasoline on the fire because then, you know, the networks are like, uh, all right, just put a camera in front of that guy. Go. And like, that sort of, you're right, it accelerated. Yeah, follow people. Just follow people. Yeah. So we have housewives. Let's follow the housewives. So let's follow, yeah, anybody that was a train wreck. And then, like, the idea of, like, YouTube and sort of this thought that, you know, you could do something stupid on TV or on YouTube and you all of a sudden become an influencer. You have a million followers. And then all of a sudden YouTube's like, hmm, we'll pay you if you keep creating content. And then all of a sudden, you know, that person's famous. And they become an influence. And, you know, they're sort of like a celebrity. It's like you don't have to really do anything anymore to really earn it. You're just basically there. And if people really like it, then it's just like you're famous. You just, you have it. I remember the, um, it's probably 2002, 2003. This is a total guess. Somebody could look it up for me. Um, but the, the, per- the time person of the year. Mm. Was a, the front page of it was a television set with a mirror at the, in the center, reflective image there. And it says, time person of the year, you. You, right. Meaning YouTube. Because YouTube yeah. was just purchased for like a billion dollars or something. Now think about how insane, how cheap a price tag that is. How cheap that is now, <laughs> right. But the idea that- Bargain basement discount. Can you imagine? Like They, they make that in every <laughs> second or so. Yeah. Um, but the idea of what, changed there and what we're trying to keep up with now even even recently this hundred million dollar youtube contribution to you know like and and the other platforms trying to do the same thing like the content creators are looking to fund through their own platform and the distributor is controlling the media i'm almost like the the paramount the reason the paramount decree was created right was to not have this happen and here we have it like the distributor and the creators are coming together and they're just giving more and more and more um opportunity for individuals influencers we'll say to make content above and beyond the celebrity um such a such an interesting move like it's obvious we're all seeing it happen i don't even know if we're complaining about it because they get really great gatekeepers is not all bad Right, but it's definitely something that's different, and we're we're dealing with the re- repercussions of that. Well, I also think it, I mean it. It definitely has democratized the idea of who is creating content these days. Like the studio system, and in large part the streamers, because they're basically mini studios in a lot of ways. There are many barriers you have to get through to get your content seen. But at YouTube, it's not. I mean, like you, you produce it, you put it up there. If it starts to get views, all of a sudden YouTube's like, okay, we'll monetize it for you. Like, so let us run some ads and then we'll pay you a portion of the profits. And it's sort of like this idea that, you know, people just can make content from their homes. It doesn't have to have this polish and people can be entertained and it's only five minutes. And if I'm sitting in my car or in the McDonald's line or whatever, I just watch a quick five or two minute video or whatever. And it's just sort of like it it's sort of become a beast unto itself. And, you know, YouTube's like, okay, we're going to throw a hundred million. Snapchat's already spent, I think something like a billion dollars getting, give money to content creator. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, that's where the money seems to be going now. And it's like, this is the problem with a lot of what the pandemic has sort of shifted from the idea that you have to go to the theaters to see content. Well, now it's like, no, you don't. You, you could watch it on your phone before, you know, the pandemic hit, but I think now because people are so ensconced 
and used to sort of being in their houses and watching it on their phones that now it's just become a habit. They're just like, oh, yeah, I'll just watch. No, this is the influencer. I I like this guy. I'm going to watch his video. Beep. You know? Yeah. Which I kind of like it to do. Like, I I have people that I follow and content I want to, you know, engage anytime that comes out. I feel like podcasts have done the same thing where I anticipate certain people's podcasts to be released so I can hear that voice that I would have never heard if I was just tuning in AM radio or FM radio back in the day. Like, it was very limited. And the scope and scale at which we can distribute content. Even just you and I making this content right now, right? Yeah, right. I mean, it's yeah. it's a it's a insightful in a way that we have this opportunity to share this experience, and without th- this opportunity, we wouldn't be meeting the guests that we meet and, and right. uh, evolving this conversation further and helping mm-hmm. people along. Yeah. Um, so it is the the dynamics of celebrity changing in our industry is such an interesting, such a, um, a visual presence that we can see in almost every type of uh, every angle of the industry. Yeah. And the Golden Globes, as we started with, is one of those where it just isn't enough to get the viewers anymore. Um, the actors themselves don't necessarily make a draw in the theaters anymore. I think you're right. I, I've heard recently that. Um, through, through some channels like Rita and, and Tom Hanks were trying to make something and it was turned down and think like, how does Tom Hanks not make, if he has an idea, is he not on, just on screen? <laughs> yeah, right, right. But there are still some sort of sense like, is anyone going to come see it just because he's in a movie? And yeah, I mean, there's definitely a sense like some of them do really well overseas. Like Tom Cruise has done really well in Asian countries. That's like a known fact. Like he always does well, which is probably why when he attaches himself to a movie, it probably going to get made because it, you know, they love him overseas. Um, but that's very few and far between. Like there aren't a lot of people like that who can, you know, draw in domestically as well as internationally. And it kind of has to be a little bit of both if you're really going to make it worth your while. And, you know, although Tom Hanks is a great actor and I think he's, you know, one of the greats in American cinema, people are, you know, it's just, it's not, the attachment isn't there. They, I mean, it's almost like they know too much about Tom Hanks and it's like, they've seen him so much that it's like, I can't buy him as a character anymore. Cause he's Tom Hanks. I've seen him everywhere. Like, right. Tom Hanks is the character that he's playing. And yes, <laughs> right. I would argue the smart people are the ones who kind of keep a low profile so that you buy them in the character. Like one person, one actor who comes to mind is Ryan Gosling. You never read about Ryan Gosling ever. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Like you never read about him on going out or, you know, you occasionally see a photo of him when he's going to the grocery store, but that's probably because someone catches him, but you know nothing about him. You know, we know that he's got kids, but that's all we know. We never see him. And then when he's on screen, you're just like, damn, he's good. Like, so he's kind of playing it smart. Like he recognizes that celebrity is probably dying. It's almost dead. But so he's got, I'm going to keep the mystique. So I'm just going to not be in your face 24 seven so that when you see the screen, you're not saying, hey, it's Ryan. You're saying, who is that? Yeah. Damn, he's good. Like, you buy him as the actor. You buy him as the character, which is what he really cares about, is that he wants you to sell him as the person you're watching on screen, not as Ryan Gosling. Yeah. It, right, because you can get kind of bored with seeing that same face. And do I want to watch this character actor that I really enjoy in my favorite TV show? Do I really care what that means for breakfast? <laughs> Or their opinion on some angle or something like, I don't... Right. Just because I like to watch on TV doesn't mean I necessarily want to listen to your opinion about something. Yeah. And that's why the old studio system was very... I mean, it was bad in a lot of ways. 
And it was very sort of controlling in terms of where their actors went, what they did, what got into the press, because they had to maintain the image because they understood that you had to get people to like that actor. But at the same time, you had to be able, they didn't, they couldn't know too much that it was going to be hard for them to disconnect the actor from the character they're playing on screen. And that was sort of the idea of sort of the, you know, the, the studio's managing the PR and the image of so many of these actors because they didn't want one, they didn't want some of the more unsavior aspects of their personality to get out, but also they didn't want people to be so disconnected from, or so connected to the actor that they didn't buy them on screen. It was just sort of like, you have to be able to buy into the person as a character. Otherwise it totally pulls you out of the story. There is kind of a genius behind that, isn't there? Yeah. To, to create an industry, create a platform for an industry, and then really invent the rules of engagement for the people and, and how they're perceived and whatever. And what we all knew, and you know, no, now obviously no, now too, is like that it was all fake. Mm-hmm. Like they were, they were actors on and off the screen, almost like WWF wrestlers. Like you just can't ever not see <laughs> that character, no matter what happens. You're always the big guy, or whatever. I mean, the great, the, the, uh, the one movie that sort of really opened my eyes to this was LA Confidential because it really sort of gets into the seedy aspect of the showbiz in LA in the 40s and 50s and how there were, you know, all these actors doing all this crazy, nutsy stuff. But it wasn't, it was, you know, you had like the Danny DeVito tabloid character who was like doing his thing on a hush hush. But so it was like some of the dirt came out there, but you had all these studio people just trying to manage it and keep everybody like off to the side. No, 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 we're going to pull off to the side and we're not going to talk about it. Hush, hush, you know, let's just keep that over there. See, like, look how pristine they are now. And it's just, it's just fascinating because that really was, it was, it was all fake, but it was, it was very managed because again, the studios had a lot of money riding on people wanting to see these people in, (laughs) in the movies. It's funny, you remind me, we had, uh, when I was at Imaginary Forces, we rented some of the Hollywood Athletic Club. Okay, yeah. Um, we rented a few floors of the Hollywood Athletic Club as, as an extension of our office. And it's, it's an amazing building. You know, it, mm-hmm. there was the big gigantic area in the middle. There was a pool underneath, which was an event space. Um, and then there was this tower, which were hotel rooms back in the day. So as part of that building, when you walked into it, there was also the history of what the Hollywood Athletic Club was. And it was that place where like, it's a sec- it's a secure place behind walls that the press can't get into, and therefore Hollywood was happening inside or behind or in the bungalows or whatever. <laughs> right. More than like then when you get, came outside, you were this squeaky clean kind of a uh, character, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And there's just there were aspects of that building that were um, some of them are pretty crude, but there are aspects of that building that are built into the building that you can see and touch Hollywood in amazing ways. And yeah. you recognize like, oh, this was a moment. You know, th- oh, that's John Wayne's room. Oh, that's where Mae West, uh, because it was a men's only club. That's where Mae West snuck in um, to hang out with the guys or and, and play poker. Yeah. Oh, this was, you know, and you're, like, it's just incredible to to know some of that stuff was there. And I think when we got in this industry, we were, we would love that aspect of it, that there was a special place and a special moment and special people and that's what's fading. That has faded away for us into something totally different. Yeah, um, it does make 
the transition is happening in big tech. I mean, big tech are the ones that kind of taking people away. And we see it and we hear it. The big tech companies are somewhat replicating Hollywood. So they call it movie. Mm. They call it a television show or whatever. Even though what we now know, as we point out last week with Richard, is that Disney is even calling it content. Disney content studio. Yeah. What we know now is like it's just distraction. That's what Hollywood is doing for us. It's distracting us from who knows what else they need to be distracting us from. Right. Yeah. But the ability to compete is also kind of um, evolving and changing. Um, you know, one thing I, I read when we made fun of Quibi a lot when the whole thing kind of went down. But, um, you know, Roku as a tech company kind of Trojan horse themselves into content themselves, too. And they yeah. basically recently announced like, hey, we're going to be in the content game. And they already have all these television sets in everybody's you know, Airbnb across the planet or whatever. So, um, you know, it's interesting to move those moves that are taking place there, too. It's fascinating how many just there's so much content out there. It's just it's unbelievable like Roku is getting in the game now and it's really smart because it's very easy to set up as you have said yourself and my mother-in-law actually set it up too and she's not super tech savvy but you know the fact that she was able to just hook it up in a snap that in and of itself is impressive it's that it's just easy to get it yeah. up and running and to have like content already there waiting for you um, and they've got a library of titles already just from, they bought them from Quibi. So it's like, here you go. They don't have to spend two or three years in development trying to rush something out that could potentially be a hit. They've already got stuff ready to rock and who knows, maybe one of them will hit and then they can just kind of run with that and then slowly start to build out their development operation. But it's amazing. Like there's just so much out there. It's like, it, it's almost mind boggling. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny about that is like you can imagine people without Roku boxes never seeing that content. Yeah. So where my mom has a Roku television, she doesn't know how to navigate out away from that content. She will only watch yeah. what's distributed to them. And she's having a total different entertainment experience than on something I won't even break into because I don't have a Roku TV or something like that. You're right that the amount of content that's out there is it is insane. You know, there was a moment where content took over or television shows took over a small portion of what you did. And then you had time left to talk about the show that you watched. Right. So when Survivor came out, we all waited for that hour, but we talked for 20 hours about what was going to happen on Survivor or what happened on Survivor. And we only watched it for an hour. Or The Apprentice. The, the first Apprentice. season of The Apprentice, everybody yes. was talking about that. Everybody. Like I couldn't go into work without someone like, oh my God, did you watch The Apprentice last night? Or, you know, um, Will Sam and Diane ever get married or whatever? Like, you know, like, yeah. we used to talk about this stuff. <laughs> right. You know, uh, Rachel and Ross or whatever. Yeah, or re-quote Seinfeld quotes. And now it's almost like we watch five times more content than we can talk about. Yeah. So we don't, we're consuming it as individuals, but we're not relating it to the other people. Because, by the way, I can talk about TV show and you could like, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. You know, it's on it's on HBO Max, you know, whatever, plus, plus channel. Minus. I, it takes me 10 minutes to explain to you where to find it. Showtime <laughs> extra. <laughs> and to me, one of the items, like uh, Schitt's Creek is, it's such a great show. It is such a great show. But it's taken me this long to find it, to start watching it. Find it. And yeah. I did get to experience it while everyone else is experiencing it. And I should have. It, it's just too great of a, of a show to, to have missed. 
um, while everyone was doing it. But that's one, the world exists. I can wait until it's all over and watch all of it at once. Um, so that that part of Hollywood really is shifting. I think uh, I'll go back to what Richard was saying last week, too, and what he said in the state of the um, show business address is like he's recognizing, hey, it's over. Like it's 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 up. Right. The And what we have now is very different. It's controlled by different people. Um, and the decisions that are being made have have its consequences, have its upside and consequences. And we have to recognize that and lean into them. Um, and I think, um, you know, some of the other guests that we have have recognized it too and say, oh, the way we used to market to people doesn't work anymore. Yeah. The way we um, we watch a certain movie that no one would have ever seen if we waited for the content game to choose it, but we were able to choose it and then push it forward. And then people were, yeah, had this amazing experience that they would have never had without uh, that push. Yeah, I mean, it. It is interesting, you know, one thing that I think Richard really hits hard on, it's like the idea is that the pandemic has sort of put everything under a sort of of microscope and shifted a lot of things, but it seems like the industry feels like just because the window question has kind of been solved that, okay, everything's fine, we just got to get movies back in the theater and then we'll be good. It's like, no, there's so much more that has to happen. You know, I was talking, you know, one of my clients, I was talking to him this week and he mentioned that he went to the theater with his family and it was bizarre. It, was, it wasn't like, yay, we're back in the theater. He said it was like surreal. He walked in there. It was just him. They had remade the, they had re- renovated the theater, which is, gives me a hopeful sign that maybe somebody at AMC and Regal are actually listening to podcasts when I say you have to reinvent the experience if you want to bring people back. Yeah. And he said it was renovated. The seats were really nice. But it was surreal because it was like nobody was there. He's watching a movie that costs 15 bucks that in 30, by probably 20 days, he can watch it for six. Like it's shifting. And they're, it, it's just the idea that yes, they may rush back into theater, as I said at the top, but things have changed. And there's this new initiative that's going on. It's called the big screen is back. And it's the idea to try to draw people back into the theater. They ran a spot during the Oscars with Matthew McConaughey which I didn't think was the best version of what they could have put together. Um, and now they're in about a week, I guess they're doing something in century city where they're going to bring a bunch of studio execs together and they're going to present clips. And it's basically like a mini cinema con um, to sort of, you know, it's the next phase of welcoming back. And, you know, they did an announcement on the trades yesterday and they're going to bring press people to them. Like you got to do more than that. This isn't just about getting the press excited. Cause one, Given everything that's happened over the year and a half, nobody reads the press anymore because nobody really trusts it. They have their sources, which is most likely their friends on Twitter, which is, you know, not the greatest either. Yeah, right. But you got to engage with the audience. Like, what are your plans to engage with the audience? You guys, we're coming up on Memorial Day weekend. We've got Quiet Place 2, right? That's supposed to be one of the first ones out the gate. What are you guys going to do to get the audience excited in two weeks? Yeah. Like, where's the plan for that? Like, you're, you're bringing in press, showing them clips. They'll probably describe it horribly. Like, why aren't you bringing in random people off the street? Like, or something. Like, do something and, like, get people excited about it. Get people excited to come back. Yeah, and talking about it. People need to talk about it. People need to talk about it. It goes back to us talking about influencers. Like, do, like, a Facebook Live or something, you know, and don't get a star sitting there who doesn't really want to talk about the movie Maybe get a couple fans together. Talk about how I can't wait to see F Fast 8. I can't wait to be back in the theater and watch Vin Diesel blow up a car. Like, get people excited because that's what's going to get them back in the theater. Not 
standing a bunch of press people who write about these people all the time aren't that fascinated and writing, oh, so-and-so, Tom Rothman got up and talked about Spider-Man. It was so exciting. And then he shows a clip. But you can't see it because it's exclusive. It's the same thing they've been you know, doing for the last 10 years. It's like, this is the opportunity for a very creative industry to reinvent the wheel a little bit. You know, take a little bit of a risk, just a little. I think it'll pay off. But, you know, again, they only have a couple weeks. So this is probably just going to be another sort of like, hey, press, here's a bunch of cool clips. Everyone's coming back to theater. Look, we have all these actors here to talk about their movies. How's that different from uh, two years ago? If I'm investing in content today, right? So if I was one of your clients and I'm saying, hey, Keith, I'm investing in content today. Um, and I, you know, let's put let's put it into a situation where the film probably would not have been picked up by a major studio. But there's an opportunity that you know of, right? That people are saying, I know there's an audience for this. I'm. It's been financed in order to get this to a certain audience. You know, where can I make a splash? Because I think that you would, don't you run into the same situation with your clients? That they're kind of stuck with whatever platforms there are out there. And it's telling people to go on Twitter or telling people to, to um, you know, make a bunch of Instagram posts, or do you do something different? I think there you have you have to try to do something different. Um, it's really the only way to really try to stand out in sort of a market that's really shifting. It's just a lot of content. Um, you know, if it's a good story, I'm a firm believer that people will find it. It's just a matter of you just really have to work hard to get it in front of people and make people, again, make people your brand ambassadors. Yeah. Like give people exclusive access. Don't like that's I mean, CinemaCon, Comic-Con or all these great events and people show up and you get all these people who show up. But these are people who go to these events. They see these things regularly. They're not going to go out and tweet like my big thing when I was at Fox, I was always like a big champion of like getting people on set while they're shooting the movie. Like, give freaking Michael Fassbender a phone and say, shoot something. Or, like, you know, we'd get a bunch of people to get excited about Avatar or an X-Men movie, and then we'd not feed them anything for a year to two years to the next <laughs> right. movie. It's like, why aren't we engaging with these people? Like, just keep it, bring somebody to the set. Yeah. It's because everyone was so guarded. Like, no, we have to protect every little bit of information. I'd be interested to see if there's anything that can be done with NFTs. Like, what happens with there? Like, because you're... Potentially could sell a portion of the film or sell an exclusive clip from the film to somebody. And then then they have they own it. Then they own a part of the film or something like that. I mean, maybe there's something there. I mean, there are a lot of things happening that you kind of have to just be a little crazy with and have fun with it. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, the studios are owned by these big conglomes and taking risks are just not in their DNA. But I think somebody's going to have to do that. Otherwise, we're just going to, there may be a burst when people go back in the theater because like, yay, we're back in the theater. But the fundamental, fundamental underlying issues are still going to be there. I mean, it all depends on the type of movie you have too. If you have like a really great documentary, then it's more about the personal stories and was it relevant to somebody? What are they going to learn? Like there's little things like that you can do to really sort of pull people out and make them feel excited about something. Um, you know, and I also think it's about getting out of LA and New York. That's a big part of it too. Like start pulling your talent, go on a road or something, go talk to somebody in the middle of the country, like make people excited. That's part of it. You have to get them excited. You have to show that you're excited about your movie and they'll start to glean the energy off of you. 
That's what really help it. And maybe we're going to see that. I mean, I, my hope is, is that we've been holding our breath really for a year, you know, and some months now, waiting yeah. for people to do something creative. They've been locked inside, behind a mask, whatever all this kind of craziness is. And this is the mm-hmm. week. We've opened that up. The masks are being dropped. Yeah. People are going back to the theater. I'm yep. surprised there's not so some not some gigantic rock concert happening somewhere right now. This is... I can't be Coachella did not. Yeah. <laughs> it probably is. You just don't know about it, Tim. You're not hip anymore, Tim. You're not going to get that secret invite. <laughs> as far as I know, there's a new Burning Man happening somewhere and no one's telling me about Maybe it. Maybe one of your kids did, <laughs> but I don't think you're going to get it. <laughs> so true. That's exactly it. I'll just log on to something while I'm doing it. But there's um like maybe maybe this is we're going to remember this moment of like what it was like after the pandemic. Yeah. And have like a roaring 20s kind of opportunity. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I know I, I said this a few weeks ago. There's there's going to be a yearning for togetherness and community because we've all been isolated in our homes. And yes, there are people who are going to want to stick with that. Like they like being isolated in their homes. Barry Weiss, who's a uh, sort of was a former New York Times columnist who has a great um, substack now called Common Sense. She wrote that the... the <laughs> The pandemic was perfect for like the Netflix lovers. People just like to sit at home, watch Netflix, Amazon, order their food off Grubhub and, you know, get their groceries ordered. They were doing all that stuff before the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, it was like, this is gravy. This is like my dream come true. Yeah. I don't have to go out and do anything. I can work from home too. But I do think a vast majority of people want to be in a community again. They want to go out to dinner with their friends. They want to experience all that. Sure. And I just think... Hollywood has to lean into that. They need to lean into it. Screw the exclusivity. Stop with the stupid, you know, uh, junkets that nobody watches anyway and try to do something new and exciting. Do a premiere in the middle of the country or something. Have a buy out like have a theater to uh, have a premiere at a tiny theater that's been struggling to keep the lights on and invite everybody from the town. That's what we need. We need the uh, the Central Park movies. And I guarantee you people would show up and you'd get a ton of press because if they look at how excited these people are, you get the people amped, you get them excited, you have fun, it's a party. It's yeah. There are ways to make this work. It's just people have to recognize that there has been a shift and we're going to see that play out over the next couple of, next few years, I think. And people just need to start realizing that and, you know, change the model a little bit. Well, I know that's the challenge that your clients are taking on and you guys are processing together. I think there's, there is some exciting opportunities. Yeah. And um, you're totally right. I would go to a movie in the park right now. Like sign me up. Absolutely. Yeah. And the press, I believe the press today would be, would not be all the people that are killing each other because they're hanging out in a park watching a movie. That it might be, hey, it's, the time is back. Community is back. Well, local press is also suffering. They've been suffering for years. So give them an opportunity to have some fun. Like, yeah, something positive. You know, most of the local press, most of the local stars, by the time they get to, I'm sorry, local, you know, press, once they get to the stars, the stars have been through 40 interviews. So they're tired. It's the same questions. Why not give somebody a local and, you know, somewhere an exclusive? Yeah. Let, I mean, and have like an energy that sort of exists and then. Make something of it. Like, it, there's so many ways you can try to make this a more communal event versus, again, the exclusivity of, like, the, the junket at the Four Seasons. It's like, come on. Like, let's let's try to take this industry and reinvent the wheel a little bit. We have an opportunity. There are people who really do want communal activities. Let's find a way to take a medium that 
is very popular and a storytelling medium that has done transformational things throughout our history. Yeah. And have some fun with it. And let's really, let's take it and make it the next phase, uh, um, you know, of, of what brings us back together after this rather challenging year. Well, I know you're not the only one because we've, we've had plenty of guests um, that you've been helping us bring on and saying the same thing. Like the reality is, is the world is different. Yeah. All right, my friend. Well, thank you. I think uh, there really something, I appreciate this conversation because there's something to process that we're just listening to what's happening. And for us to even have a moment to catch up and say, wait a second, I think I'm really seeing the reality of, of what's happening and the opportunities that are there. That's what we're really about. Hollywood breaks is it's not just what's breaking and changing in Hollywood, but also breaking into Hollywood. And the insiders are all thinking the same thing as, as the viewers are. So, yep, exactly. Um, hey, thank you all again for listening to the podcast, for watching us on YouTube. We appreciate you being a subscriber, listening in. If you liked what you hear and you're not a subscriber, please just click whatever button there is on whatever player you're listening to, because we'd love to have um, you part of our community and listening to, into more. And we do have some great guests coming up. Um, as yeah, I do want to do a quick plug, if I may, Tim. Um, next Friday, we have Tim Heindel a good old friend of mine from my Fox days who is now uh, an SVP in research and analytics at Lionsgate. Um, so, and he had, did have a stint at Sony um, as well and uh, was also at Wildcard for a brief stint as well. So we can regale, uh, we can relive some of the stories of working with Alex. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can say. <laughs> um, but, and then uh, the week after that on the 28th, we have, as I mentioned earlier, Michelle Marks coming on who um, will really sort of dive into sort of the influencer and um, content conversation that we just had at the top of the show. So that'll be a really fascinating conversation as well. And many, many more exciting guests coming up as we head into the lazy, crazy days of summer. So stay tuned. And we're almost hitting our one year mark. So it's going to be, uh, we're I know, exciting. Are we going to do like a special show? We're going to have to do a special show. Sure, we're going to get some mugs made so we can uh, put some drinks yeah. in the mugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. As always, uh, Lydia, we could not do this without you. Thank you for what you do behind the scenes and keeping us going and making sure we have GarageBand up and running as we need to every, every time we do this. Uh, Eric and Connor, thank you for your support and doing the research for us. And until next week, we'll see you in the movies. Have a great week. Bye.